We are in week three of our life series, and this entire series is uh, based out of John chapter 10, verse 10, that states that the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come so that we can have life, and not just in the ordinary life, but life uh, to the full, life abundantly, life beyond existence. And so we've been looking at how can we experience that type of life? But we all get it. This life can be difficult. This life is difficult. Yes, there's some incredible moments. There's mountaintop top type of experiences that we go, wow, life can't get any better. But yet, once you get to the top, you're rolling down the other side. We all come into this space today. Yeah, there's some great things going on in life. But there's some difficult moments as well. You see, the thief is there. To do what he does best, to steal and to kill and ultimately destroy us. His goal is to destroy us from existence for all eternity. So how do we navigate through this one life, this one life that we all have, this one life to live, to the depth and degree that God has designed us to live this one life? What does that look like? So last week, we, we kind of did this simple exercise. If you were here last week, I had everyone raise their hands, which made some people uncomfortable. Uh, but what we found out was this, that everyone in this room has at least one friend. And if you didn't have one friend last week, you became friends with the person sitting next to you, whether you wanted to or not. It was forced upon you. The other thing that we all realized is that we all experience relational tension within our relationships. It's just one of those pieces that we have friction and fractured relationships. And those relationships, sometimes they can bring so much joy into our lives in the next moment, they bring so much pain. And so we kind of force ourselves not to look at everyone else's fault and what everyone else does, uh, to impact our lives, we, we, we kind of looked in the mirror and said, okay, what do I do? And we came down to the simple thought, forgiveness. Where God has says, you forgive people. Why? Because he has forgiven us. We have racked up such a huge debt with God. We could never repay that debt. Impossible to repay that debt. And God said, you don't have to. He sent his son to die and to, to, to conquer death so that we could experience life to the full, life abundantly for all eternity. He has forgiven us our entire debt. And he said, okay, I have forgiven you. Now you extend forgiveness to those people in your relational circles. And forgiveness states this, and this is important. Forgiveness states I understand that you can never repay me for what you've done to me. I understand that what you have done against me is so dark and so hurtful. That debt can't be paid. And so I'm going to choose to extend forgiveness. And when we extend forgiveness to those people around us, Not because they deserve it. 
not because they said I'm sorry in the right way, not because they bought something really nice, but because we understand that God has forgiven us in the same way. And when we extend forgiveness to those around us, we can start experiencing life, life to the full, life abundantly, life beyond existence here on this earth. Well, today, we're going to be looking at another one of those kind of subject matters that all of us in this room are dealing with today. I'm not going to have you raise your hands today, but I know for a fact, and that is this. We all have something, and that could be one, one thing or multiple things in our life right now, today, that we're trying desperately to keep a secret, that we're hiding a sin issue, a past mistake, a current addiction. There's something. How big? That's a question. How long have you been keeping it hidden? Another question. But we all walk in here today with that. Now, let me clarify something. This is really important because today is not about, you know, will God forgive you? God's forgiveness, it, it it's there for you. We talked about that last week. So this isn't, isn't one of these like, will God ever love me because of what I have done or what I'm doing? Will God ever give me grace because what I have done or what I am doing? Will God ever forgive me because what I've done or what I'm doing? It's not about that. Scripture's clear about that. Extremely clear. That's why Jesus came and died and rose. For grace. Because of unconditional love. His forgiveness is extended to you. Question today is, that thing that you have hidden, what is it doing to you? Because again, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what is that peace within your life that has control over you? What is that peace in your life I'm going to put some names up on the screen. And uh, I just asked a simple question. What's the first thing you think of when that name appears? What's the first? Now, there might be multiple things that come to your mind. But what, what is it that kind of reaches past everything else to the surface? Here we go. First name. Michael Vick. Dogs. I mean, just simply dogs. I mean, not that he was one of the greatest college uh, football players to come out of college. Not about uh, his skill and ability. Not even to the point where he has been like really repentant and sorry and he's been diligently working on changing his life. It's still dogs. And that will always be an asterisk in his life. Always. Even if he spends the next 30 years trying to amend for that. And you're like, oh, that's not fair. You're right, it's not fair, but it's life, isn't it? His decisions, his actions created that. How about this name? Oh. I'm sure the first thought in your, in, in, in your mind wasn't, wow, he's a great father. Wow, I'm sure he was a great husband. Wow, I'm sure he, he, he gave freely of the money he stole. I mean, 
Think about the devastation around his life. Think about the number of people that had their entire retirement stolen from them. They have nothing now. His decision, his secret, and the impact. Okay. What about this group of people? As of about seven days ago, you would probably think, you know, the government's elite. You know, people that are willing to throw their lives in front of someone else's life. The best of the best. Now you think Colombian prostitutes. Oops. (laughs) Is it all Secret Service agents? No. Absolutely not. It's a small group of them. But that small group have now given a name, have now attached an asterisk to all Secret Service agents. Fair? No. Reality? Yes. How about this last name? Whitney Houston. Oh, I grew up with Whitney. I grew up with Whitney Houston and those amazing hair metal bands. It was a great combination. I I would sing Whitney Houston songs in the bathroom by myself. Amazing. I would dance in junior high and high school with so many girls. Well, okay, I stood in the corner hoping to dance <laughs> with so many girls to Whitney Houston songs. Right, Whitney Houston, what an amazing gift and talent she possessed. But now when you think of Whitney Houston, I'm not sure for you, for me, what a tragedy. What an absolute waste of a gift that she knew God had given her. And the power of addiction. The power of the secret. Now for today. Put your name up there. This is going to get a little uncomfortable. What if your secret came out. You see, that's why we keep things hidden. Because a thief starts whispering in our ears. No one can know. What if someone did know? What would happen to your life? And what you're going to see today, and, and this, is, this is just kind of giving you the answer to the story already, Whatever you're keeping hidden, whatever you're keeping concealed will be revealed. Not a matter of if, a matter of when. Because it's always going to come out. At some point, in some fashion, in some shape, it always will. And we all realize we're one decision or one series of decisions away from destroying not only our lives, but everyone connected to us. We're going to be looking at a story found in Joshua chapter 7. And it's focused on one, uh, one specific guy. His name was Achan. And uh, to understand what's taking place in, in Joshua chapter 7, we have to kind of go back and give some history that leads into this story because it'll help you understand what's going on. 
the, the Israelites had been wandering for years because uh, they didn't listen to God. God said, here's the promised land. This is the land that I want you to go to. And Moses, leading out of fear, Moses listening to everyone else except for God, Moses deciding that the ten spies, their voice was louder than the two, which reflected God's voice, that they started wandering. God said, fine, none of you who live right now will ever get to experience the promised land. And so that's what they did. They wandered in basically circles for years in the, in the desert. So now is the time that comes where, where God says, okay, Moses have, has passed. All those people who lived during that era have passed. There's a whole new group of people that have come up. Now, now it's the time to go to the promised land. So God raises up Joshua, this military leader, to lead the now about two to three million people called the Israelites into the promised land. And so as they're entering into the promised land, there's going to be many, many wars, many battles, many lives lost. And sometimes you can quickly read the Old Testament, and there's battles and war and death and blood and tragedy everywhere through the Old Testament. And it's so easy to say, wow, if God's so loving, wow, if God's so compassionate, if God is so kind, how in the world could God not only you know, just allow this to happen, but kind of sanction this to happen? How in the world? And it's so easy for us to sit here in 2012 and read the Bible through 2012 lenses and not jump in several thousand years ago, three, four thousand years ago, and try to understand what was happening then and what God was trying to accomplish. You see, back in Genesis chapter 15, God said, hey, Amorites, the Amorites were kind of occupying the promised land. He said, hey, Amorites, you better repent you better change your ways. The direction of your culture, I'm not going to put up with. And instead of over those six, 400 years, them repenting and changing, it got progressively worse. And God's saying, okay, now it's time. I've given them a chance. It had gotten so outrageous in their, uh, in their culture And we could spend hours talking about this, but I'll just give you one small piece, and this will kind of paint a very vivid picture for what was going on. They were actively sacrificing children. So when I say it had progressively gotten worse, that's that's an understatement. And so God said to Joshua, hey, you're going to go in the promised land. It's the land I have given to Israel. And not only are you going in, I want you to shove out, remove the Amorites, Why? Because I don't want you interacting with that culture. I don't want that culture to taint what I'm trying to create within Israel. I don't want what they believe and how they worship and their value systems to mesh with my value systems. So I want you to remove them. Whatever way you can, I want you to get rid of them so that I can establish the Israelite nation and the culture to worship me, to be holy, not to be filled with the mess of the Amorites. And so that's what they were doing. So the Israelites, under Joshua's leadership, they had just uh, kind of engaged in their first battle, and that was against Jericho. And if you know that story at all, Jericho was this mighty, mighty city, well-fortified, 
a, a ton of uh, uh, fighting men. And so when they came to, to, to fight Jericho, God basically said, here's your battle plan. Get priests, which aren't usually your best soldiers. Get priests and trumpets and march. That was God's battle plan. But here's the thing. God said, and I will, I will conquer Jericho. And so that's what the Israelites did. They marched around it. Priests, trumpets. God delivered them. Amazing story. And now we come to Joshua chapter 7. It's the second city. The second city as they kind of go on their conquest to regain the promised land. To establish themselves in the promised land. And the second city is the city of Ai. And so Joshua says, okay, I I don't think this city, Ai, is going to be like Jericho. Uh, I think it's going to be easier, but let's go and make sure. sure." So he sends uh, spies to go check out Ai to kind of see how strong they were, how many fighting men they had, and what he needed to do to lead Israel against Ai. And the spies came back and said, hey, Joshua, yeah. Small city, only, they only have a small army. If we just send two to 3,000 men against AI, it will be no big deal. It'll be simple. It'll be easy. Okay. To put this in our perspective, let's say there was walls around New York City, and you led an army with priests and trumpets around the walls of New York City, and you conquer New York City. Right? You'd be like, Woohoo! That's amazing. Priests and trumpets. That's all I need. Great. And so you start leading the army, you know, across a bridge or underneath a tunnel, and you make your way to Gillette. I mean, I, I, without God, I literally think you could, if you live in Gillette, I'm sorry, I, I think you could go in there with trumpets and beat people and they'd run away. And so that's their mindset. They're like, we just conquered that. This is going to be easy. We got this covered. Plus, we got this person named God on our side. So Joshua said, great. Send them in. Let's go take, take AI and listen to what happens. Joshua chapter 7, verse 4. So about 3,000 men went, went up, but they were routed by the men of AI. Do you know what the word routed means in the original language? Routed. <laughs> That's what it means. They demolished them. They obliterated them. It'd be like in baseball, it'd be an 18 to 0 score. It wasn't even close. They routed them. Routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the, stroke, on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Can you imagine the fear? Not just in the, the 3,000 men that went to fight, but the 3 million Israelites. Oh, hey. We just conquered Jericho. And Ai, what's going on here? Why in the world? Why in the world could we not beat Ai? And I love that line. The hearts melted with fear like water. Here's what Joshua didn't know. 
You see, it's, it's, it's easy for us to read a story like this because we have the entire story in front of us. And if Joshua, Joshua would have had uh, the book of Joshua, it would have made this story a lot more easy for him. If he would have known that verse 1 existed, he would be like, oh, I get what's going on. But he didn't know about verse 1. And this is what verse 1 says. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> Could you imagine filling that name out every time? Wow. Took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. There was one guy named Achan who took what the Bible calls the devoted things. And what's the devoted things? You go back to chapter 6 of, of Joshua. And what you discover is this, that when they were going to go in to attack Jericho, God said, hey, this is your first battle, but I want to make sure you know that from this battle on, you don't touch the devoted things of the Amorites or any nation you conquer. I don't want you to take the spoils of war. I don't want you to take the gold, the silver, anything. I don't want you to touch them. And it was clear and direct from God. God said, don't touch them. Why? Well, there's a list of reasons. Quickly, a few of them. One is uh, God didn't want that culture to infuse into the Israelite culture. Many of those gold statues were to the many gods that the Amorites worshipped. Gods of child sacrifice. And God said, no. God didn't want them, uh, the Israelites uh, uh, dependent on the, the spoils or the plunders of war. God still wanted the Israelites to to rely on his provision. They'd spent a, a whole season of life wandering through the desert where God provided water and provided manna and provided for them. And God still wanted to provide for the Israelites. God also knew this. As soon as people started focusing on their desires, their wants, greed, as soon as the Israelites started going to every battle thinking what they can take for themselves, what would happen? They'd take their eyes off of God. It would splinter the entire nation. So God said, don't touch the devoted things. And one guy, Achan, decided, decided to touch it, decided to take something. But Joshua didn't know. The army comes back, fear spreads throughout all of Israel. And so Joshua does what Joshua does. He, he went to pray. It literally says he tore his clothes. And there's three kind of major areas, which as I was reading through this prayer, and I challenge you guys to all read in, in Joshua chapter 7, three major areas to this prayer. And it sounds so much like my prayers at moments. The first part of his prayer was why? God, why? Hey, what, what's going on? But remember the Jericho thing? That should have happened again in Ai. Why? Then Joshua kind of turns the prayer and, and starts saying, well, yeah, well, maybe we should have. Maybe we should have stayed on the other side of the river. Maybe we shouldn't have gone to war. Maybe we, maybe we should have done something different. Then he ends his prayer by saying, well, God, you got a mess. You better clean it up. Doesn't that sound like moments in your prayer life? Even though you, you might have created the mess or someone attached to you created the mess and now we want God to clean up the mess. 
Listen to God's response. Verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have uh, been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. They? Israel? Three million people? They, they were responsible? I thought it was one person, Achan. How in the world can God state that all of them are responsible when one person acted when one person decided to take the devoted things, when one person hid them, when one person. Here's a reality. It's a reality for all of us in this room. Decisions made by you impact those connected to you. Isn't that true? Think about those lists of names we went through at the very beginning. Think about the countless people now whose lives are severely impacted because of their decisions. And so many times we think that the things we keep hidden, the things that we have hidden within our heart and in our life, because the thief is saying to us, hey, it's only you. It's your choices. It's your decision. It's just you. It's just you. It's not. When we pull out of it and kind of look around us, we all realize that an individual's actions doesn't just impact the individual. It impacts everyone connected around them. And you know what God was saying? The one is connected to the whole. And his decisions impact everyone. And it's just a reality of life. And you can say, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. You're right. It's not. It's never fair. But it is reality. I know my issues as a dad will always impact my kids. I had great parents, amazing parents. They were human. They are human. And Aiken's choice and Aiken's decision cost people their life, caused fear to settle amongst all the Israelites, I think about the number of people that started questioning Joshua, this new leader, this new military general. How many people started whispering about him? What did he do? How could he not have won? God goes on. Verse 13, he says, Go consecrate the people, or consecrate means to wash or cleanse. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Okay, so what, what's this tomorrow thing? Well, tomorrow, God gave this, uh, these instructions. Where he was to bring all the people, they're broken up into tribes. So a representative from each tribe that represented the two to three million Israelites. There's 12 tribes. So there'd be a, a representative that, that came from each tribe. And he was going to pick one tribe. 
And then out of that tribe, there's clans within that tribe. And God was just going to narrow this down. So from, from the tribe to the clans, from the clans to the families, from the families to an individual. And that would be the person. So God said, hey, you got a moment. And I wonder, I wonder, what if Achan would have come forward at that moment? What if? What if he would have stepped forward and said, well, it was me. You see, here comes the reality number two. You will be given an out. Always will. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, ah, I got, I've been keeping this hidden. I got to tell someone. Those moments where you're like, ah, I want to do this. I know I shouldn't do this. You have that moment. You have that moment where you realize what you're keeping hidden inside of you is going to destroy you and the people connected to you. You have those moments. And Achan had that moment. He had that moment to cleanse himself, to come clean. The question is, was he going to? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You hear that? God will always give you a way out. God will always give you a pathway. God will always. But here's what the thief is screaming in your ear. No, don't, don't. If you tell someone, ah, oh, your life is going to be ruined. If you tell someone, what are other people going to think? If you tell someone, what's going to happen? And God's saying, no, now is the moment. Now is the moment for you to come out. Now is the moment for you to share. Now is the moment. Because the thief knows this. If you keep whatever that is hidden in the dark, in the dark, he has incredible power. And in the dark, that thing will grow and will take over you from the inside out. But what the thief also knows, if you get that out into the light, God can do amazing things to heal you, to heal those around you, and for you to experience life to the full. And he will always give you now. The question is, are you going to take that out? Are you going to step through that door? What are you going to do? Well, this leads us to kind of the third reality. What is concealed will eventually be revealed. It always works out that way. What is concealed will always be revealed. So the next morning, Joshua lined up the 12 representatives of the tribes. And he goes from the tribes to the clans, from the clans to the families, to the families to Achan. In verse 19, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. 
Can you imagine that moment, moment with Achan? That moment, like, oh, I've been found out. I can't hide anymore. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. That, that is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. This morning, I was driving with my oldest daughter. Uh, she's almost 10. We are headed to Starbucks, and uh, we came to a stoplight, and I had this, this uh, uh, deep, evil, wicked moment. I'm not sure where it came from in my heart. I'm not sure how it surfaced, but it did. And I looked over, and I said these words out loud. I said, wow, that's an ugly dog. It was ugly. I don't know if I have a jealousy against cute dogs, (laughs) if I think my dog is better than everyone else's dog. I don't know, but from an evil place, I made this simple statement, and that's all I said. Wow, that's an ugly dog. We continued to drive, and we parked, and we walked into Starbucks, and the line was real long, so we're standing in line and standing in line, and we're kind of looping around, and all of a sudden, my my daughter, in, in, in the uh, loud, boisterous, jubilant uh, nine-year-old voice says, Hey, Dad, there's that ugly dog. <laughs> you know those moments when your world pauses around you? I'm like, and I can't lie, but I'm trying to hedge the conversation a little bit because here's where my adult brain went. As we stood in line, as the ugly dog was tied up right outside the Starbucks, Guess who must be inside the Starbucks? The dog's owner. And I'm like, no, honey, it's not. It's a cute dog. She goes, no, that's the dog. I go, no, there's a lot of white dogs. She goes, no, that's the dog. I'm like, it can't be the dog. That's a cute dog. She goes, but you said it was ugly. (laughs) Oh. We we looped through the line. I got my coffee. And literally when I turn around after that, because I'm trying not to look at anyone, because I'm like, He has to be in there. And as I got my coffee, he was literally two people behind me. What is concealed will always be revealed. So I now repent to you. (laughs) Because I think my dog is better than everyone else's dog. But here's what we know. We We all know this. What you're keeping hidden right now, one day will come out. You see, Aiken's life ended in absolute tragedy. He and his kids. I wish we had more time about this piece. His kids. Why? Because they were kind of complicit in the sin. They knew it was hidden. They were taken out and they were killed. What if in that moment of cleansing, that moment of an out, that moment where God said, hey, you got this evening and you got this whole process the next morning where I'm going to kind of go from three million people down to one. What if Achan would have stood up and said it was me? 
Do you think the end of his life would have been different? I think so. Completely. Completely different. So let me ask you a couple questions as we bring this kind of to an end. What do you have hidden right now? What do you have hidden? Maybe it's been hidden for years. Maybe it's a new piece. What are you trying to hide right now? Maybe it's something you're kind of flirting with. It's something that you're kind of playing around with. It's something that it has your attention and it's kind of pulling at you. And now is the time to run from it, to flee from it. Whatever that might mean for you, my challenge is simple. Bring it to the light. And you're going to have the thief streaming in your ears. Don't! What will people think? It will work out bad for you. And God is saying, no, bring it to the light. Because in the light, there's healing. In the light, you can be healed and freed. In the light, people will surround you. In the light, you will experience life to the full. But if you don't, it will be revealed. And if you wait like Achan did, it just might destroy you and everyone around you. Bring it to the light. And the last question, who can you help? Who can you help? Because you know someone you know someone, and you know their secret, or you have a pretty good idea that they do have a secret. Be a friend. Go to them. Help them bring them to the light. Help them to reveal it, and then be there as God heals them. If we all do that, we will experience a life, a life beyond existence.